Where do we find a greater truth than that? Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Thank you. <laughs> Just making sure we're here, right? I know you're awake because when you got up this morning, you stuck your head out and you thought, wow, it is fresh and nice outside, right? <laughs> kind of wakes me up right there, instantaneous wake-up call. At least there's no snow for you to roll around in before you kind of really get wake. But uh, you should try that one time. I've been hauling out. We were visiting... Finland, and you know they do, they were the ones who came up with the sauna thing, right, and all of that. And the way to do that, of course, you're heated up and it's so hot you can't stand it, so the only way you can get ever get in there is that you roll in the snow all but naked a few times, and then you're ready for whatever heat comes your way. That's, that's just how that is. It is so good to see you all, and I want to wish everyone again a happy and blessed new year. Sunday evenings, uh, David Reed was referring to that earlier, we decided to begin uh, the, the ongoing Bible study that we have had telling God's story on the 22nd, because there have been uh, several uh, who were not here today who have been participating, and some from other churches, and that will give everybody a chance to kind of, of uh, spread the news saying we are back and we'll just pick up kind of where we were. I'll do a quick little summary and we'll be ready to go again and to get, uh, we're getting close to the conclusion of the story. Uh, so don't miss that and, and make sure that you, you call around and, and everybody gets ready. We want you to have that in the calendar. Tonight, we will still meet. We'll have a great uh, Bible study and, and uh, slash sermon, good singing. Uh, this is um, a special day today. I think you know, um, some of you know, right, that Friday was Epiphany, right? The first day after Christmas. Baptists mostly know this because they know this song called The Twelfth Day of Christmas, right? And you thought that belonged before Christmas sometime, right? And then the last one, no, that is the twelfth day that are Christmas, right? From 25th through January, uh, 20, from December 25th to January 5th, 12 days of Christmas, and then the 6th, the day of the Holy Three Kings, the Epiphany. That word really means, it's a Greek word, it means to shine upon. It's a day where the church celebrates that the gospel was brought to the Gentiles, to go around the world, the Holy Three Kings came to the Jesus child and met salvation. Jesus saves. And so this is a major and important thing. And, and last Sunday, I didn't refer to that because it was before, but I still preached kind of on that theme. We're back to the everyday now again. How do we live this out that we just celebrated? And I thought... I want to do uh, the same thing uh, today, talking about the manifestation of Christ among people, living out the gospel, so to speak. And I thought maybe one of the strongest texts we can find for that uh, is a plethora of texts, if you will, but we'll find the person of Timothy. I've spoken uh, about him earlier in different contexts uh, and from different angles, but let me 
speak to you about Timothy and see if he can be kind of an inspiration for us to live this life of the gospel. I wrestled with the title. What should I call it? Should I just call it Young for Life? And then play a little bit maybe on that duality. You know, being young, everybody wants to be young, right? Just try to Google youthful and you'll get all kinds of hits for skin products that make you look like you are 20 when you're really 90, right? And at least that's what they say. All kind of fitness machines, everything, just because we're obsessed with being young for the duration of life. That's kind of, I thought, no, that's probably not uh, the best title. Although if you say young for life, the other side of that, of course, could be that you're young for the sake of life. And so I thought, well, maybe a title could be just as well, Youthful. Because you can be youthful throughout life. You know, age is a strange thing. You know that, right? Age is just kind of weird, right? We, we don't really know what to do about age. I kind of hinted at that uh, several times. It can be hard to find out which age is the better age. If you're young, like everybody wants to be young, you know, those who are older can kind of just kind of push you aside with a simple remark that says, well, he's kind of young which is just code for saying he doesn't know anything. He's just inexperienced. We'll forgive him because it's just his youthful eagerness that got the better of him, and he didn't know what he was saying. Young people's trustworthiness is always somewhat suspect, right? So you feel better if you're old. No. That's the kind of thing with age, right? You get older and, and those who are younger, you can kind of kind of push you off to the side with a similar remark that, well, he's kind of getting old. Which is nothing but code for saying, you probably don't understand what's going on. If you're from a different time. We understand that you don't get it. The world is probably moving too fast for you. And we get it. You're just too old. Just like that. So which is it? Those who are in between? Well, you know, those of us who are in between, by the way, nobody's old anymore. You know that, right? We're just older. Have you ever met a person who said, I'm old? No, we're older. And those who are in between, it's just the same age. It's just weird. We're either stuck in the 60s or 70s, or if you're stuck in the 50s, we really are old, right? So we're stuck in the 70s or 80s or 90s, so... We'll kind of live in the past or we're so focused on providing for the future. We are so stuck in the career. We're never present in the, quote, present. There's no age that is perfect. We're either old or we're young or we're in between and none of that. But the biblical emphasis is quite clear that age is our strength. The changing ages of a person is our possibility to experience the fullness of life, all of it. And rather than allowing anything or even ourselves to kind of slow things up because of the difficulties that a 
different or changing age percents, the Bible indicates that every age has a purpose and should be lived for the glory of God and his kingdom. So I'd like to speak to us this morning about youthfulness and being committed. And I'm using that word youthful or even young if I should say that word as a word to indicate the kind of energy and flexibility and willingness to always invite new things to evaluate what may be going on. Are there other better ways than what we have known? I'm referring by saying the word youthfulness or youthful to that kind of desire to always grow deeper and always be willing to focus and to find better ways. In other words, the opposite of just being stuck, so to speak. You know, Timothy had become famous because he was the co-worker of Paul, and he was the most useful in every way, so to speak. People know about Timothy in Scripture, and he's highlighted so many places because of his willingness to use whatever ability, whatever ounce of energy, whatever focus he might have had in the service of the church. He was converted, as we had heard also earlier on Sunday night, most likely at the same time as his mother and his grandmother when Paul came to visit Lystra the first time around. And then when he comes back two years later, Paul finds that Timothy has become a man, a young person of great reputation in the church. Let me just read to you from, from chapter 16, and I think they'll throw them up on the screen as I come here with this. Paul came to Derby, and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. And so, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. Just imagine this. Imagine. What has happened in those two years? Out of the hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ through the preaching and the ministry of Paul, Paul chose Timothy, to go with him. What was it about Timothy that made him stand out, that made other people speak well of him, that made Paul notice him and just say, I want to bring him. He's the one who's to go with me on that second missionary journey. He was a young man. He'd just been Christian for two years or so, maybe max that. What made him so useful? I think we can summarize it simply by saying he was a person whose heart was completely determined that his life was to make a difference in God's kingdom and in the church. 
This is not going to be a side issue. I want to make a difference. And on the background of that firm decision, his life came to stand as an example for all generations, through all times. Just imagine this. Everywhere on the globe where this book is read, they know about this young man who said, I want to make a difference for God's kingdom and for God's church. It's pretty powerful when you think about it. There can be no doubt, really, I think, that, that Timothy had determined when he made Jesus Lord of his life that he would do so with everything within him, all the energy, all the kind of focus that he could muster, everything that he had, just like a young person when he or she becomes really excited about something new. That's what he put in. In his, into his relationship with God. And he discovered that this was the most important way that he could spend his life. In spite of all the opportunities he might have had for personal gain, you see, there's no doubt that the kind of cleverness the kind of focus, the leadership abilities, his diplomatic abilities, the, all the things that he used all the way through as this leader in the church, he could have used for his own benefit and had great personal fortune for that. And nobody would have thought that using gifts and focus and possibilities that came your way for personal gain was necessarily wrong. Timothy just saw it differently. And it was not easy, as you know. Things are not always easy in this life, and they're certainly not always easy for those who give their lives into ministry. There were people who were so upset that they said, Timothy, just get back in line. You're a kiddo. Don't get up front. Stay behind. And this was so much that Paul even wrote it into so that all of us, all throughout the generations, can read about how these people reacted. Don't let anyone look down on you, he said to Timothy. Don't let anyone, let anyone look down on you just because you're young. I can already hear that in the church. It's not your turn yet or just stay back. You're young. What do you know? It was hard. Rather, he said, channel all your energy in such a way that you become an example for all believers. That's what it says right here. Your eagerness, your energy, your focus, whatever, put them there, set them as an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Oh, how we need people with that kind of example. Can I ask you who are not 
so young anymore. There are only two or three of you here, but <laughs> how long has it been since you looked to a young person as an example for how you should live your life? For the kind of focus and energy and commitment, the usefulness that you look to a young person instead of one just your age or older. Maybe I should flip-flop that also if you're the younger generation, most of us are that, right? Yes? How long has it been since you saw yourself as an example? Not just for those who are younger than you or your own peers of age, but even for those who are older than you, maybe even much older than you. Set yourself as an example in purity, in speech, in love, and conduct. Paul's exhortation to that young Timothy was that he should let nothing or no one strangle or limit his commitment or even surrender. To Christ. That's what it means, friends, to be truly youthful. Not useful, but youthful. But also useful, I guess. You know, this, this is kind of difficult. What do we do? How do we take this? It's easy to hear, it's easy to say, but Paul is not letting up. He goes on in verse 16 of that same chapter 4 of, of Timothy, 1 Timothy. And he talks about how to make sure you become an example. Watch your life and the teaching closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. In other words, your life will matter. Not just to yourself and maybe those who benefit from knowing you really well, but to all those who are looking and say, that's the person who manifests Christ. That's epiphany, friends, the manifestation of Christ in our midst. Timothy was not especially useful just because he was young, nor because he had all kind of specific gifts that God said, oh, there's a guy who has all these gifts. I can use those. He was useful for God's kingdom because his heart said, that's where I want to focus. That's what I'm going to be about. I'm ready to serve wherever and whenever I'm called on. And because that was his heart, before he knew it, he found himself in places that far exceeded what he had ever imagined that he could do, certainly as a young person. When Paul wrote the letter to him. He had become 
the senior pastor of one of the largest churches in the world at that time, in one of the largest, the third largest city, one of the most busy business kind of cities in the world at that time. And so now he finds himself in one of the most important posts in God's kingdom on earth at that time, if we can speak that kind of language. Friends, the study of Timothy and his commitment and his eagerness to serve God at whatever it takes is a study in God's economy about the connection between how God uses us and how we are willing to be used and serve wherever we can. It's no longer Christmas. We're back, friends, to the everyday life, revealing the Christ he wants his gospel to go to the ends of the earth. Notice again, Timothy here, from the first time we ever hear about him, he is willing to make an extra effort. After Paul had brought him on a journey, Timothy was there by his side. He was there when they were persecuted. He was there when they were hunted. He was there when they were driven out of cities, not the least in, in, uh, in Thessalonica, up in Macedonia. Let me read to you right here where we can see this. The Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace that formed a mob and started a riot in the city. And they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas. And we know Timothy was on that journey as well in order to bring them out to the crowd. And, and in the night, they were snug out of the city to, to escape with their life. And so they went down to Athens and things moved on and after a while they, they moved on further and Paul became concerned about that young church up in Thessalonica. How's it going with them? We were there for three weeks. Who can I find with a faith that is strong enough, with a commitment that is clear enough that I can send them right back into that lion's den? Guess what? Chapter 19. Here comes Timothy. Paul sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, back to Macedonia while he himself stayed a little while longer in Asia Minor. Amazing. This was no easy task, but faithful and willing, he accepted the challenge. No wonder Paul in another letter says, I have no one like him, none. Later on, Paul is sending a letter to the church in Corinth. And as he sends a letter, he also sends Timothy, 
to kind of explain further to them what Paul meant in this letter. We know he had a very contentious relationship with them. He talks about a painful letter. It's very clear from the correspondence with the Corinthians that this was not an easy church. And for Paul, this was one that was very heavily opposed to many of the things Paul wanted them to hear. So he wrote the letter and he sends Timothy with that. Chapter 16 in that letter explains that. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he's with you. For he's carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. In other words, Timothy did not have a strong, powerful personality. He was not the directing type that he came in and took charge of the situation. Paul had to tell these Corinthians, treat him right. He should be accepted by all of you because he is faithful. Again, we see a person. Who says, if God calls, I'm doing it. I'm going. And just again, and just a little bit later, we see Paul writes to his church in Philippi. And this is where these famous words come that I have no one like him. Paul was in prison in Rome. Timothy was with him. And so he sends Timothy to Philippi. And he writes to them, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may be cheered as he brings words back about how things are going with you. And here it comes. I have no one like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Friends, Philippi is a 40-day journey from Rome on foot. And then a 40-day journey on foot back to Rome to get word to Paul. This was an enormous task. Can you do it, Timothy? And full of usefulness, he said, yes. If I can serve the kingdom, if I can serve the church, I will do so. If you go up just a few verses from that chapter 2 of Philippians where he says this about Timothy you will see that he has just described to them how they should be and how they should imitate Christ. In humility, he says, value others above yourself, not look into your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. And here comes Timothy. When the Philippians are meeting him, they have a living example of a Christian. 
for whom that had become reality. Is that amazing? Now, what about your example? What about your example? We may say that eagerness belonged to the youth, but surrender, friends, and commitment in the Christian faith has no age. You will hear, stay young for the sake of life. That's what youthfulness is. For the sake of life. This is a challenge, is it not? For all of us as we look right in the face of a brand new year, 2017. See, God never looks at who we are and, and how we already have things that he can use. And so he simply looks at the heart. See, where do I find someone with a heart like Timothy that is willing to go when I call? Paul says, I have no one like him. I read these verses, and I'm haunted by that notion. Could he have said the same about me? Could he have said the same about you? I have no one like him who are genuinely eager to help. What a challenge, friend. For all those of us who want to feel youthful, young for the sake of life. You know, mediocrity can be found everywhere. It's in the world, it's in, in, in Christian churches, so many places. But Paul is saying, don't, don't join that group. That may be the group he talks about when he talks about those who are looking out for their own interests rather than those of Jesus Christ. But he says, look for the group that cluster around Timothy. And so my question this morning, that first Sunday after Epiphany, if you want to call it that, As we're back to the everyday, can we find Timotheans and Timotheys here? Think about it. People whose excitement, whose energy, whose focus, whose surrender will not be stopped by anything. Could it be? Imagine. Imagine if God, as he's looking down on his people around the globe, and as he's looking specifically at the First Baptist Church, 
of Nacogdoches. Could it be that God here found a group with that heart of Timothy where he said, I have no one like them so willing to serve not for their own sake, but for the sake of the kingdom. Could that be, friends? When God plans whom he wants to use, he's looking for hearts. He's looking for people who are willing and eager to be in his service. And if you feel that I'm not there, God's promises, he would like to bring you there. You see, a study of Timothy is a study of what God can do when just normal, regular people surrender to Christ. The incredible thing is that God is not just using people that has extraordinary gifts. God sees incredible potential, even with those who have few. What we know about Timothy is that his health was weak. What we know about Timothy is that he was timid. He was not demanding of situations. He didn't have this powerful personality that automatically made him the leader of all things. He was useful simply because he says, I want my life to make a difference for God's kingdom and for God's glory. It's not about who you are. It's about who you want to become. It's not easy to find a good conclusion for a sermon like this. But it burns in my heart, friends. I'm looking at 2017 the same way you are. What can be said about what we have done how we have spent our lives, how our commitment has been, how our surrender to Christ that we claim is Lord has been for a whole year when we come to 2018. How are we going to look at the time in between? Can we hear the call? This is not about feeling, oh, I can't live up to this. This is not about us not being good enough. This is simply an encouragement. You need to look at this from the pastor's side that is meant to, to be read in. God took this young, timid, poor health kind of guy and made him one of the great ones. Purely because he said, I want to live usefully and committed in my service of Christ. I'm going to give an all the call, friends. And I'm going to ask some of you to come up and just kneel and say, hey, 
this is as good a time as anything to recommit my life for a new year. There may be some here who don't know what it means that Jesus is Lord. What better day could there be than this day? The day of Epiphany, right? Where we celebrate that the gospel is brought to Gentiles, which will be most of us. Here's the day, friends. Some of you may want to grab someone's hand and say, I don't go up there alone, you come with me. Whatever it is, we want to pray with you and you, can, you may need to pray for yourself. Spend this time dealing with the Lord. Useful and committed. Let's stand, friends.